You're listening to State of the Arts. We cover the art scene in St. Augustine, the nation's oldest city. From the people and organizations that create the art to the venues that display it, we cover it all from artist to venue and everything in between. You're listening to State of the Arts. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for listening. I'm John Bashera, and this is State of the Arts. In this episode, you're going to hear from multimedia artist Corey Michael Smithson, actress and storyteller Margaret Kaler, the president of Art Galleries of St. Augustine, Paul Slava, and his daughter Catherine Slava, portrait artist, and we're going to wrap with musician Sam Shen. First up, our spotlight artist, Corey Michael Smithson. Corey, what is art? Art is uh, a communication between the person who is generating the work and the person who is receiving the work. It can take all sorts of different forms. There's, there's uh, anything can really be art as long as it's done with the intention to communicate something or to, um, to, to bring something into the world that didn't exist before. So if it's already existed, it's, then it wouldn't be art? Well, if it if it already had existed, it had been in existence because of somebody else's hands and somebody else's efforts. The I, the effort that you are making as a creator is very individualized. Like what it is that you in particular are bringing to to this conversation, the your background, your interests, your skills, your talents, your fears, your hopes, your personality, all of these things that make you an individual person um, stamp the work with your identity, your feeling, and makes it yours, makes it unique. I think art is very individualized, not only from the creative, from the creative side, but also from the side of the person perceiving the work. Well, I think a viewer completes the work to some degree. I think the viewer um, who's, who's receiving the work of art is sort of finishing the sentence. It's like the artist um, projects a certain amount of energy and, and maybe a thought or an idea, and then the person who receives it has to sort of actualize it in the world. They, they take it and they send it outwards from themselves into the world through their interactions with, the, with other people, and then the way they, they uh, move through the world afterwards. If they're changed or affected by the work of art, then um, the work kind of continues to live on. Can you give me five words that describe art the way you see it? Uh, art is very much about perception. An artist is trying to perceive the world, all the glories of the universe, the beauty of the universe, the, the tragedy of the universe, the, 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 the light and shadow and balance between. The artist is trying to look at these things um, first and absorb them and try to make judgments about what they encounter. I think the second word that I would use would be distillation. Um, that an artist will take all of this input and try to distill its essence or find some core quality about this, these experiences um, and, and shrink it down to uh, something that can then be um, uh, handed over or, or transferred. There's an alchemical process that happens with an artist where they, they experience the world and then yield something different. You know, turning lead into gold, or turning um, a pile of cow dung in uh, Mumbai into a beautiful abstract photograph. Whatever it is, whatever the the process by which an artist uh, distills an experience. I think the next word I would use would be um, discipline. That an artist has to 
um, make a number of discerning discernments about um, what to include, what to exclude, uh, what media to, to convey an idea with. Um, and through practice and through um, rigor, they will yield a result. And it takes, you know, in the case of a musician, tons and tons of practice. In the case of a photographer, thousands of exposures. In the case of a dancer, you know, a lot of bruised toes. But the idea of applying um, a discipline of mind, body, and spirit to the creation of an artwork. Um, I think the next word that I would probably use would be mystery. That I think that there's always an element that cannot really be explained about art. There's some, there's some quality that we can't quite put our finger on that makes something special. A lot of times when people will ask, what is art? Uh, and a common answer you'll hear is, well, I know it when I see it. Well, how do you know it when you see it? And there's the mystery. Like we don't quite know why it is that we respond to something the way we do. There, and there's always also the question of um, where, where is the source of this creative impulse? Is it divine? Is there some divine spark? People would sometimes talk about this idea of divinity as being that which we cannot explain, this sort of, um, extra quality of something. So I want to emphasize that a big part of art is this mystery of what cannot be quantified or easily explained, but somehow emerges when we look at something we're stirred by it. So the fifth word that I would use in describing art, I think would probably be reception. And that's where the audience member comes in and their responsibility when they come to a work of art is to try to make themselves as porous as possible to absorb all of the information the artist is presenting. And then they go through this own, their own kind of alchemical process where they take that data, that just dump of information, be it visual or auditory or conceptual, and they transform it into meaning for themselves. And if they spend time talking about that work of art or describing it to other people, they then transfer the work to somebody else through their interpretation which is what I was saying earlier about the audience completing the work of art. So that's five words, accompanied by a ton of other words. <laughs> Tell me more about your photography. I have a lot of training in photography. I went to school for it. I work professionally in the photo industry. Um, I have a lot of sort of technical relationships with photography in terms of the process and the output. But when I take photographs, um, I try to get into the state where I don't even really know what I'm taking a photograph of. I don't even really recognize what I'm photographing when I'm photographing it. I try to get to the state where I'm just reacting to what I'm seeing. And I, I actually, when I take my best photographs, I'm actually stripping away all these other sort of thought processes and decisions. And I don't really think it becomes very intuitive and very much about responding to what I'm seeing emotionally psychically without a lot of intellectual interference. So I make fewer decisions as a photographer than I would as a writer or as a painter or as a performer or any of the other media that I work in where I have to make a lot of executive decisions. There's only sort of a decision about how to frame what I'm encountering. And even that is very subconscious, very intuitive. Part of that is because I've shot tens of thousands of images. I probably have 60,000 photographs in my catalog by this point. You know, I've taken a lot. Yeah. Um, but those decisions have become increasingly subconscious over time. I get into this sort of fugue state when I'm photographing, where I'm wandering through the world. Um, and this was especially true when I lived in New York and I was out photographing every day. I would just go get lost. 
I love getting lost. That's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing in the world to do is to get lost. I love getting lost. But if I can get lost with a camera, that's even better because I like discovering the world through the lens. And a lot of times, I really won't know what I'm photographing. One time I was, um, I was out photographing in Brooklyn on one of my walks, not really caring where I was going, just sort of like, well, I don't know, this looks interesting, I'll go this way. Um, but one time I was taking a photograph and this fellow observed me taking the photograph and he walked up to me and he's like, oh, what are you photographing? And I turned to him and I just blinked for a second. I was like, I don't know, let's look. And I opened my camera you know, back up so I could look together and I was like, oh, what was this? And it was literally just a couple of wires on the side of some clapboard siding on an old apartment building. Just an abstract composition that caught my eye and my mind and I snapped it without even realizing what I was looking at. Because I wasn't looking at wires or an apartment building or clapboard siding. I was looking at line and color and form and light and reacting to that. I was responding to what I was seeing on an um, intuitive, emotional, psychological level without making a lot of forebrain intellectual decisions. It's, uh, and you weren't able to do that when you first started, though, were you? No, I wasn't. It's funny you should ask that because my first forays in photography were very technically driven. I was um, doing a lot of portrait photography, a lot of nudes, a lot of studio work, a lot of body-centered stuff. The vast majority of my early photography was all centered around people. And I was like really fascinated by the human body, and I was doing a lot of visual dissection of the human body. Um, and over time, I've moved away from the studio and from all this very technically driven stuff, which was very much about careful lighting and posing, and it was very artificial and very um, deliberate, and it had sort of a almost a theatrical quality to it. Um, and I moved away from all those things to a purely reactive form of photography where I was going out into the world and letting the world reveal itself to me through the frame. The photography that I've been doing recently has been really about reacting to the world and trying to sort of distill something about the world that I find beautiful. And it's, it's all over the map. It's, it's, you know, I'm photographing buildings or surfaces or you know, foliage or skies or... What is it that attracts you to those ideas? I honestly can't say. That's maybe where this idea of mystery comes in. I don't always know. It seems like I react to it and then later I'll look at it and be like, oh, wow, these all have in common this element, like texture or this, you know, type of contrast. But it's not one thing. It's always sort of what is the world presenting to me? Or is it driven by emotion? Is it driven by intellect? Is it instinct? It's, it's not instinct. Instinct. So yes, yes to, to it's a great multi-layered question. Um, so it is not driven by intellect where it once was. My photography used to be very, um, very head-centered and very much about my staging of things, especially when I was doing a lot of erotica. I was doing, I used to shoot a lot of porn. And I was doing a lot of stuff that where I was, I was kind of making commentaries on the fragility of the human body or on the construction of gender and sexuality. And so I did a lot of very stagey kinds of things. Um, and they were very, very much imbued with a, a, a pretty intellectual read of human sexuality and gender construction. And I've really moved away from that now in terms of my photography again. I moved away from that in favor of exploring this idea of the world revealing its beauty through the frame. And so a lot of, the, I'm not making intellectual decisions, I'm making emotional decisions, I'm making, um, I, I, I wanna say sort of psychic decisions where the world's kind of communicating a message and I'm trying to receive it. Um, in that case, I really try to remove um, from my forebrain a lot of discernment and I think more in terms of like 
intuitively responding. My composition. So there's not much preconception. No, there's zero preconception. Zero with my photography these days. Absolutely none. Corey, what role, if any, does beauty play in art? India taught me some of the hardest lessons that I've ever learned as an artist. And one of those is that beauty often comes disguised as uh, discomfort or trauma or ugliness or pollution or hardship or deprivation. Beauty can be wrapped in the shell of terrible, terrible ugliness. And your job, sorry, my job as an artist is to help unpack some of that, to like look at a scene and try to find the kernel of beauty within. That even if something seems terribly ugly or terribly uncomfortable or um, very foreign, very frightening, to look at it with an open heart and, and open eyes and to try to find within it something that is beautiful and compelling and universal. To have an open heart is to come to a situation and to try to not have preconceived notions about what is what what should be happening to try to instead accept things as they are and look at them as they are and to try not to um, let your prejudices or your anxieties or your expectations filter your vision so much and instead to try to remove some of those filters from your eyesight and from your senses wow. and it's difficult it takes discipline it takes practice and it takes um, a commitment. It takes a, a, a firm commitment. I, I think this is where artists have this um, ad advantage, you know, because they made this choice already to try to look at the world with broader eyes and bigger ears and a more receptive sort of personality. Um, and, and I think for me as an artist, one of my priorities is to take things that seem very ordinary, very quotidian, and elevate them a little bit, like kind of draw attention to them and make them more beautiful. Like, look. This dog turd is actually really pretty if you look at the color and the, the placement and the composition, you know? And I've done that. I've taken really good, pretty pictures of dog turds. Um, the idea being that you can look at anything through the lens of a, an artist. You know, I don't mean that as a pun about photography, but I'm sort of like putting the mindset of an artist to use and encouraging people to look at the everyday world and see how miraculous it is, how glorious it is, how beautiful it is and draw attention to the beauty of the everyday world. There's so many wonderful things that are happening on every single moment of our life on the planet that we overlook because they seem uh, ordinary or everyday or, or unremarkable. But when you take the time as an artist to draw attention to something, to frame it, to isolate it, and to, to maybe magnify or, or, or amplify some of its unique qualities, then somebody can look at that and see within it this incredible beauty, this incredible rarity, or, you know, um, I, I think that there's a, a gift that artists have of being able to recognize beauty, you know, and I think that's one of the things that maybe separates an artist from somebody who doesn't consider themselves an artist. But at that you think moment, recognition is enough? Recognition of beauty? Of the beauty or... Well, it takes then doing something with it. You got to do something with it. Whether that you, whether you share it through an anecdote or you share it through a painting, whatever. Right. But you're interpreting it. You're taking that moment of beauty. You're recognizing it. You're interpreting it and you're sharing it. That's that's the complete art. You recognize the beauty. You interpret it and you share it. And that in and of itself is art. That that's the whole process right there. In a nutshell, that is the entire process by which art is created and shared. Cool. Anything That's else? Corey Michael Smithson. I appreciate it, Corey. Yeah, thank you. Here, Thanks man. for letting me talk for so long. Oh, dude, it's great. Have you ever yeah. been in a situation where everything goes haywire and you've got to figure out how to get out of it? 
Oh, no. Well, yes. And now, a tale of two plays by Margaret Kaler. <laughs> I always thought that this woman did this on purpose. Fortunately, it was comedy and it was Goldoni, so, which is an Italian playwright not long after Commedia. So it was kind of exaggerated. And I'm pretending, I'm threatening to kill myself on stage. So I have a sword and I'll kill myself and this other person's supposed to come on. <laughs> and she didn't come on. <laughs> Try to kill my... Anything now. <laughs> sure she did that on purpose. If you're listening, Linda, this is not you. <laughs> but it was fun because, you know. How did you get out of that? I just pretended a little longer. Just keep going out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I improvised a little bit, you know. It was fun. It was okay. <laughs> you got to find a way out. I thought it was pretty funny, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure worse things have happened, too. But... Uh, when we were touring Florida, and this was with Major Barbara with the Oslo long ago, uh, there was a theater that we were in where we had to go stand outside while the set was changed. <laughs> and so I had to stand outside, the set was changed, and I just kept standing there. <laughs> and so the stage manager, so the stage manager <laughs> opened the door, on stage think when you came on? Well, it was time for me to be there. <laughs> up next, Catherine Slava and her father, Paul. We take up the conversation with me asking Catherine, what is art? Transferring, like, what I'm thinking into a physical thing. I like painting and drawing the things I see that I think are pretty. Or uh, that I think, you know, like deserves to be like put on this thing forever. Like it's when I did paint my friend Jackie, like I remember Jackie is like a very like androgynous character, right? And so like this was like her more feminine side, like her like the beauty. And she was like, wow, like I look like a goddess. And that was like so nice to hear. I was like, it's you that you're looking at. I'm like trying to like kind of show that beauty of like just things, whether it be people or pets or a landscape or something simple, even like a little house or something. And but people see that and they go, "Oh, it's so beautiful." And it's like, "Well, it's just what I was looking at." And I thought it was beautiful, and I just want to enhance that and make it like permanent. I know it seems kind of like not boring, but like, "Oh, I draw something that's pretty." But it, I feel like it's more than that sometimes, because especially when I do people, like when I do people, because I really do love drawing and painting like portraits and people, like just capturing that one, like that one frame, just in their whole life, like that's them. But it's just one second of them, if that makes sense. And they look like looking at that from an outer perspective, like of their own self in art. I feel like that's really cool to see the person, like the subject, looking at their own self. And I got to experience that when they look at it all painted and everything. And it's just because someone sat there and took hours of time, like painting your face. You know, it seems like it's really like a like personal almost and very like intimate. Paul, what is the value of art? I think to see beauty in, in all things. Um, I don't know, it, 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 it puts it above, it makes it glow, it makes it shine, something that's just, 
and it could be something very that people would seem very ordinary but in my case it just shines as, as something beautiful so yeah that's but, like kind of like the that's like one of the things I was saying not necessarily beauty but even right. like that like that beauty or like intimacy like that you have with whatever you're um, looking at that you personally like wanted to see that and you made it beautiful Connection. like and it, and it could have already been beautiful or not but like someone else is going to see that and look at it and go wow that's beautiful and you transferred what you were seeing into right. this painting that was beautiful would it be art if no one saw it i think so i don't know i mean like you're still putting your feelings and your emotions into it and even if you kept it to yourself if you have this personal sketchbook of things that you've drawn and or painted and that you keep to yourself no one's seen it that's art definitely you still put you put those personal intimate feelings into it or even if it was just a quick sketch however you 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 like transferred that talent into something that you know that you like you release that you know emotion yeah. into that and there's uh, an intimacy whether it's like even for yourself or showing someone exactly else, it, so would it still be art Paul? yes absolutely Good. Thank you. These are my words, and I'm speaking them. And now a glimpse into process through the eyes of musician Sam Shin, who shares his thoughts on improvisation. It feels like it's something that I'm, for lack of a better word, like something that I'm channeling, something that is coming through me that it's more like any amount of time that I'm spending learning about the finer points of the instrument, about musicality, about any of those things, it's more to kind of get out of its way and be able to give it different um, avenues of expression, like more ways instead of just like, okay, this one style, this one song, this one piece of music, that kind of thing. So for me, improvisational playing, like playing how I feel in the moment has been like for me the most freeing, I feel, form of expression of that. I mean, it, of course, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's not something that happens in a vacuum. Like, obviously, whatever musical tidbits that I kind of absorb over the years or, or something that I'm thinking of in my head that day may influence it, of course. But it's, yeah, love to play whatever comes. The difference between when, when you're improving, you said something to the effect that you were channeling. Yeah. Uh, do you feel the same? Do you feel like you're channeling whatever that energy is when you're also doing a piece that's been written? I believe so, but I believe it's, um, I end up getting caught up in my own head. Ooh, I'm not doing my bowing right there. I'm not having the like right fingering and all this kind of stuff. Like the, the, the memorization uh, and the technical aspects that went into like practicing and getting a piece ready and getting it, all of those kind of kick in, that kind of training. And so I can... If I'm comfortable enough with a piece, I feel like get into that flow, but nowhere near as readily or as freely as when a lot of times, sometimes not even at all, like I, I will go into autopilot in a way that's like disconnected from my heart. It's all finger technique. Technic yeah. And I never really liked that. And as much as there's so much classical music that's rich with emotion and, and virtuosity and, and incredible like music in general the classical tradition and the ways in which they approached it like that never really jived with me well what differentiate what's the difference between classical and the way you approach it 
Well, I mean, obviously I'm classically trained, so I'll always have my roots there. I'll always have, you know, the technical capability that came with learning scales ad nauseum and, and, <laughs> and um, you know, playing just over and over different parts until you get it right. It's like that aspect of it will always stay with me and I don't think I can get away from it as much as I've tried to sometimes. I believe it was John Cage. I, I'm, I may be misremembering who it was, but uh, a composer, a modern composer, a modern classical composer, and a lot of modern classical music, if you listen to it, it's like much more atonal, a lot of like very experimental avant-garde kind of stuff um, in the like 20th century. Some of the pieces that I was able to play, like George Crumb's Voice of the Whale, you have stuff like the pianist um, putting a glass rod across certain strings and playing the keys while the glass rod is like buzzing, cello doing stuff like, uh, well, this, this is what I learned from there where it was like, <laughs> seagull sounds like stuff like that. It's like interesting, just different approaches aside from just harmonically and tonally. That style of, or that era of classical music kind of showed me more of like the other side of it where it's not just all perfectly arranged harmonies and all of these progressions and stuff. It's much more visceral. It's much more expressive in a, in a different way, but still utilizing sound. Well, let's touch on that for a second. What, what, what is, is it art? I believe so, yes. What makes it art? What makes it art? Huh. I think that's, wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, for me, art is about expression. It's about being able to express yourself, your creative energy, whatever you want to call it, your your part of you that's like linked in with the the urge to to create. Whether you're using you know mediums that have already existed, or whether you're breaking new ground with something completely different, it's like either way, you're it's the spectrum of of expression. It connects with, at the very least, yourself to that and maybe even to others too. For me, even the experience of art, it's like you you may have a piece of music that you've heard a hundred different times, played by a hundred different people, that one person and the way that they played it one day, it all clicks and it makes sense to you or it connects to you on a level that you didn't have with it before. When it comes to improvisation too, like that for me is, is kind of tapping into the like more a bit more risky <laughs> of potentially having something utterly uninteresting perhaps to say um but overall just being in that state to connect with that that creative energy in a way that feels good for you well, i should say for me and for what i feel is you know oftentimes a a bare approximation of what it is that i'm feeling what i want to express can anybody be an artist i think so I think art, having that moniker of artist or musician or things like that, it's like, it can be a bit restrictive in thinking that you have to achieve something before you can be considered a creator of something, a creative type. I guess I've felt a very strong connection with the cello in general, but I think it's something that can be done regardless of the medium. Like it can be 
through dance, through physical art, through even just anything that would be considered a mundane task or considered something that like, you know, if you're chopping vegetables all day or if you're sorting through files all day, like it, it can become an art, something that you make your own, something that it's, it's a way in which you're able to express even within some of the most seemingly mundane things. I mean, when you think about it, when it comes to music, you only have 12 tones, or if you're in the quarter tone scale, more. But it's like you have a limited number of tones, a limited amount of different ways in which you can arrange them, and you end up having a lot of music where, you know, it may sound very similar to each other. Or it sounds like they're just kind of, you know, following the vein of something that was popular, or some things like that, like with pop music for me. How about five characteristics that exemplify art? had this written <laughs> in case I forgot in the moment so let me pull that up I think we've touched on most of them but I, I think it's like for me what I would add to like you know feeling connected to what I call it source the universe each other what, whatever uh, word you want to put to it but that feeling of connection and of expression and of also when it comes to like a performance art like uh, music is where it's like you have both the performer and the audience or like the giver and the receiver. If you don't or, get that connection, if you don't have that receiver, do you have art? It's hard to separate the two because even if you don't necessarily have other people around you, you have your own feedback to what it is that you're expressing. So whether it may be something critical or maybe something you're praising yourself or whatever else, you're always you're not living within a vacuum in which you're just putting this expression on in space it's like in the same way that they discovered that quantum particles like subatomic particles we we can't passively observe them the energy is just the act of observing it changes it and so in the same way when it comes to art and the expression of art we can't just say oh okay this is this thing that's going out and that's just how it is like you have you as the the purveyor of it change it you know, you may be hearing something entirely different in your head and it doesn't come out the way that you want it to. Or even not even just in a negative sense, but it's something that it changes and it morphs and it becomes something entirely different than you thought it would be at the beginning. Or maybe it comes out exactly how you want it to. It's all that, like those moments of connection that you have maybe in those instances of isolation like we have now. It's more, it's like you're connecting with yourself. You're connecting with whatever it is that motivation, that drive, that desire, whatever word you want to put on it. But that thing that gives you, dang it, the words just fall right at the end there. Um, it's, it's the, not gives you, but it's. Why do you do it? Because I feel like I must. Like somebody's got a gun to your head kind of? No, not, not that kind of thing. But it's just this strong, it's not something that's out of fear, although I may be afraid and anxious at times. It's, it's more, it's like being pulled in by the things that, that interest me. And sound is something that's always interested me a lot. Intrigued me, I should say, maybe. Yeah, some stuff there. Yeah, some great stuff. Sam?
Thank you so much. That was a quick hour, dude. I yeah. appreciate it. You, you were absolutely right, man. Like, you, you totally called it when you said that we're just going to have a conversation and it's just yeah. fly right by. We're going to your bullshit for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> then that's it, man. That wraps up this episode, folks. We'd like to thank everyone who shared their thoughts with us today, and we'd love to hear from you. What do you think? Let us know at risingtideproductions158.com or on our Facebook page, Rising Tide Productions. A special thanks to Sonic Pistolero for the music, Corey Michael Smithson for still photography, Diffusion Productions for their drone footage, producer and editor Heather Eggleston, and the Beach Art Studio for the use of its lovely space. I'm John, and we appreciate you listening. We're going to leave you now with quotes from First Friday Art Walk. Uh, my name is Roanne Elias. I'm an artist. Art is my way of um, making happy things and passing along my feelings to other people. But art can be many things. It can be a joyful expression of, of your view of the world, or it can talk about um, the things we're going through as a country right now. My name is Melody Ruiz-Stimple. Well, tell me, Melody, what is art to you? Uh, it's just an explosion of emotion and, you know, visual emotion. How's that? Cool. You have five words that would describe art the way you see it? It's always a mystery. It's emotion for the person who receives it. It is an ex emotion for the person painting it and interpretation um, in the personality. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I got a question for you, Fred. Good. What is art? <clears throat> I don't know what art is. It's, uh, it's some sort of human expression on some sort of an abstract level. Uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah, I don't know what art is. Well, how about five words that would describe art the way you feel it? Well, I mean, a chicken going after a cockroach is art. I mean, a kid, kid making a picture in the sand is art. Uh, yeah. Why is that art? Well, I guess I would assume I know what art is. The, the, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thanks very much.